0: In this episode of the Connor Carrick Podcast.
1: You know, I've been in, in NHL hockey games where, like, you know, you, you feel like, you know, you touch the puck first game and you feel like you're like, okay, you know, I'm going to play good today. You get the puck in the first shift and you don't get it out on the wall. And the next three shifts, you don't even want the puck almost. And it's just like, it's such a defeating feeling. And you're on the bench and you're telling yourself not to think like that and not to feel that. And it's, it's so hard to control that. And so, I mean, I think a lot of it just comes with maturity. I think, you know, that's why older guys are become more consistent players because, you know, they're less emotionally attached to the highs and lows of the game. Just in time, I've kind of developed that of just that sense of uh, maturity and consistency in my game that, you know, I know that I'm not as bad as my mistakes.
0: Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Connor Carrick podcast. I am your host, current New Jersey Devils defenseman, Connor Carrick. I'm very excited about our guest today Connor Brown he was a teammate of mine uh, with the Toronto Maple Leafs he's a current forward uh, for the Ottawa Senators he's got a really cool relationship with his own development he has uh, climbed the hockey ladder at a pace that's uh, different than a lot he has this really uh, unique love for the game growing up in Toronto and and being able to play for the Maple Leafs he's someone that I always uh, really enjoyed going to war with and he has a lot of great insight about his development into the current player he is today let's do this Brownie, I'm juiced uh, I'm to talk to you today because we used to do this kind of, have these kind of conversations about how we wanted to build our career, how we wanted to go through the game. Um, stories about trials and tribulation of our careers, you know, growing up. I remember, uh, we'll start with a, the story where you were driving to the rink. We we're leaving the MasterCard Center. Uh, Connor and I were teammates as Maple Leafs. I forget what year it was. And we were driving to, from the MasterCard Center where we would practice with the Leafs. And we were heading to Pearson International for a flight wherever we're gone. And remember, we were getting so into whatever we were talking about. We were talking hockey where you were almost going to run out of gas. And we had totally bypassed the airport and we're absolutely sweating bullets that we're going to miss the flight.
1: yeah. I I kind of kind of remember that I, my time management with those flights were always off because I would always go swing by my mom and dad's house because it was right near the airport and uh, but I, I I think I remember that I mean there's no shortage of deep conversations uh, with you in our day. Well, I, I don't know. I kind of have an appetite for it, which is why you know I started <laughs> That's why you're doing this. That's why I'm doing this. And
0: you know, I do have high expectations talking to you. Like even we were chirping uh, Mitchie Marner before we got on, like. If this isn't the best podcast ever, it'll never see the light of day. Like I won't release it. I have <laughs> such high expectations for you, but how no, was Mitchie's? Mitchie's was great. Mitchie's was great. Awesome. He, you know, offered some stories, some some highs and lows about you know his career, um, you know his development and and, and you know, really,
1: I would love to hear about the lows in Mitchie's career. Yeah, there was one year he had like 99 <laughs> nine points. It was devastating. Hey, he doesn't know what the lows are like. Me and you, we've been grinding. We've been in the trenches like, here. Hey, some guys. Some guys, you know, they think, you know, they, you're only,
0: you're only the adversity you are, but yeah. I mean, and I mean this, like I, I played against you growing up when you were Toronto Marley. Yeah. Um, well, we
1: slapped you around pretty much every player, and man. Your,
0: and your dad was the coach putting you on the power plate. No, I'm just kidding. Danny. <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> you had me be stapled on the third line. Actually. Yeah. No, I, I, you, you, so I remember like a, when we were younger and you know, the game was still more skill. You were a very good player. And then you know, as we got older, I don't think we actually played the Toronto Marleys as much because we didn't go as far in, in some of the tournaments, um, you know, the youth
1: tournaments and that. But you were drafted in the thirteenth round to the Ontario yeah. Hockey League. Yeah, I don't even know why they have thirteen rounds, but there's fifteen rounds. I went like two fifty one overall on a bit yeah. of a favor, I might add. <laughs> <laughs> little, yeah, pulling, yeah. Some, pulling some weight to make it happen. But yeah.
0: you do you do eventually. So you played junior A the next year. And you do eventually, you know, break into the OHL. Like, how did you manage, like, that inner voice? Because you obviously had the background where you knew you were a good player growing up. And, you know, you probably knew, like, I already know a little bit of the end of the story and that you kind of hadn't hit puberty yet and, like, grown into, you know, the big, strong, beastly athlete that you are now. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Monster. I mean, you always came in, like, the top three for training camp with the Leafs, like, you know, behind Hyman and I. But, um,
1: no, I, I, how did a couple of subtle digs here? And you're pumping your own tires while you're trying to pump mine. I'm actually wearing my <laughs> camp belt as we're doing this podcast. Yeah. Um,
0: uh, just to let you know who, who the <laughs> boss is. But seriously, like, how did you manage those? Because those are very pivotal years, you know, 14, 15, 16, 17 in a young think, player's career. Uh,
1: I think at that point in my career, it was just so much more about. Just the, f- like, I've just always been a hockey player and just so much, you know, just involved in the fun of it. I, uh playing for St. Mike's, I just loved playing there. I, you know, my first year playing junior and my dad always really believed that I would just grow and then get as good as I once was. And so I believed it just because he had such a sense of belief in that. So I just kind of, you know, I worked hard because I wanted to, not because... You know, I was trying to. You know, I wanted to make the NHL just like every other guy. But I, you know, I I remember just working hard because I wanted to, because I wanted to be the best player possible, because I really enjoyed it, loved it.
0: Well, we're and I want to talk more about like where did your love for the game really come from? Because I've talked a little bit with your dad, who's got a cool philosophy in it. He's got a hand in the success of a lot of really, you know, high-end NHLers out of Toronto. And you and I both know how you know hockey mad that town you know, your hometown can be and, you know, how overcoached things are and things like that. And every time I've talked to your dad, I've come away really impressed and like in awe of his respect for the game. Um, you know, but talk about like what your conversations were like, uh, growing that passion growing up.
1: Well, I think he, he did a really good job of just letting me grow my passion for the game. I think, uh, he, you know, he he wasn't forcing anything on me. I w- I wasn't playing hockey because I had to. I wasn't playing shinny for six hours on my day offs because I because ha- I wanted to get better. I just like I was honestly a very competitive kid. Me and my brother, uh, growing up when we were playing whether it was basketball or hockey in the backyard, and it would get a little heated. We were both really competitive and so, you know, just the better I got at hockey, the more fun it became because I would win more. So I I think that would drive me to get better and better. Um, Danny, you know, I never he was my coach for, I think, 10 years. And not once do I remember driving home and him being like, you were terrible today or, you know, like he never carved me. And I think it was a little bit because I was pretty hard on myself. Uh, and a little bit because he just wanted me to enjoy it, and he didn't want to. I think it was obviously a tough line for him, being my, you know, my coach and my dad. And so I think once we left the rink, he was just turned right back into my dad. And so it's not like I was living with my coach for, yeah. you know, I, my whole life. It was he. He did a good job of balancing that, and I think that's why I never lost my passion for the game. That's why I still love it.
0: Well, that's something I honestly admired when we played together was like, I could always tell you were, you are very competitive, uh, whether we're playing, you know, Catan, uh, you know, golf match, <laughs> uh, training in the gym, like you want to win. Um, but you also, you, so you have this love for like being the best, but you also just love the game. And there is a difference. I think a lot of young players kind of hit a point in their career. Cause as you're climbing this period to the top, you just meet better and better, you know, uh, other players that at some point there comes a day where you've got to realize like, do I actually just love being good or do I actually love this game? And I think the guys that are best built for adversity and really to continue like their path have a relationship with both, you know, and I, yeah. I, I always admire that in you.
1: Yeah, I think it's, it's, it gets overwhelming when you, you, you're in minor midget and, you, you know, I, there's so many guys that are in minor midget like a kid and they get drafted top 10 to the OHL. And then you get to the OHL and you realize there's five other age groups that people were drafted and, you know, people have developed and it's, it's just overwhelming how many good players there are and how many people are, are trying. And so if you get caught up in just like trying to be better than the next guy and, you know, you're not just enjoying the, the path of getting better and enjoying the path of just trying to find new heights for your game. And, and just enjoying the games. Like, I mean, I love, like, the, my favorite part about hockey is not, like, training. It's definitely not practice. It's, like, playing the actual games are the yeah. most fun part, you know. Um, and I think most guys would say the same. And so I think it's just that passion is, uh, you know, I, I play with, um, you know, playing with Connor McDavid and junior, and he was 15, 16 when I played with him. And he just loved it. Like he, like he, it was so obvious how much he just loved hockey. And I mean, there was just all the best guys that I've played with Austin, you know, uh, uh, Mitchie, they all like love playing the games. Like, and I think that's just um, something that really just drives wanting to be the best version of yourself, you know, in hockey. And so I think I had that. And I think it stems from, you know, my friends that I, you know, my teammates growing up and I, a lot from my dad and my brother and just, it was never a stressful environment, really. Um, you know, until you get to pro, it becomes kind of stressful at times. And this year I found, found fun in hockey again, and I think that's why I played a lot better.
0: Well, so here, let's, let's go back to you. You do end up getting drafted to the OHL, which for a hey, lot of people, if you're, not, go yeah, if you're not a hockey fan, um, there's really two routes to the NHL. There's like the Division One college route that a lot of North Americans take, or you can play in this Canadian Hockey League Uh, that has three separate leagues based on where you live. So I was born in Chicago, Brownie was an Ontario boy. So we were both in the uh, OHL, the Ontario Hockey League uh, precinct. And so that's where we end up both going to play. And you you do eventually make the Erie Otters in the OHL, and you do get drafted to your hometown team. Uh, That's something I don't have a relationship with. I wasn't drafted to my hometown team growing up. But even if I did, I don't know if it would have been as big a deal as being drafted as a Toronto Maple Leaf just knowing what that team means to that town um what was that day like for you
1: yeah that was surreal I mean prior to the draft I think I talked to the Leafs the Kings and New Jersey I think I talked to three teams and so it was a very up in the up in the air day like I didn't know if I was gonna get drafted um you know I felt like I should um you know, I should have. I had confidence that I was going to be on just based on the teams that I talked to. They all seemed interested. And uh, but I didn't, you know, I didn't go to the draft or anything. I was just sitting at home uh, with my mom, dad and brother. And uh, it was uh, it was pretty surreal. I mean, weird story. Like I so my grandpa grew up 156 Markland where, you know, where we live in Mark. Where we, I grew up in Markland in Etobicoke people from Toronto know the area and uh, he grew up one five six and he was a big horse better and he would gamble a ton and he'd always go to the tracks and he'd box one five six every time he'd box one five six and it was just his lucky number I remember growing up driving around with him and he we'd drive by a house that was 156 and he'd go one five six and we're watching the draft And my mom looked at the draft order and just... We we kind of knew that the Leafs were an option because they seemed interested. And she looked down at the order and she saw the Leafs had 156. Pick in like the fifth round, she saw that. Like a round before. And then, you know, a round later, I go 156, which is like a lucky family number, to my hometown team. So I was like a an emotional surreal day I mean I my my parents and my brother were like you know for me I was so excited but they're they're almost more like emotional than I was in it all so it really just goes to show you, it's it's a team it's a family effort to uh you know accomplish something like that and so that's a day that you know we'll all never forget it was pretty special
0: well that is kind of the nature of our sport right like it is gifted to us it is a sort of a family affair like you don't just at four or five years old, when a lot of us hockey players start, you don't just like wander onto a frozen sheet with skates strapped on. Like you need someone to tie him. You need someone to buy them for you. Like it's not as natural of a game as, as maybe, you know, you start kicking around a soccer ball or a basketball. Um, but So you do get drafted as a Leaf. You spent a couple years in the minors. We had an awesome uh, Marley's playoff run in which I'm going to ask you about my performance as a, as a last ditch effort to convince somebody out there to get me on a power play. <laughs> uh, <laughs> no, Brownie and I were were uh, a part of the the year where the Leafs finished last, and eventually um, are selected uh, win the lottery to select Austin Matthews. Uh, and we were we ended the season. We played a, a bit of a stint after the trade deadline together, and then we got on to the Toronto Marlies, the AHL team for the Toronto Maple Leafs, and had a blast. Uh, you know, we both had big roles on that team. Um, and then really cemented our chances at making the NHL club the next year. And then that was, you know, kind of off we went. We were then trying to be a part of the race to, you know, be a part of the culture and all those buzzwords that, you know, Brandon Shanahan and, and Lou Lamarillo and Mike Babcock would try to, you know, bring to the organization. It was an exciting time. Um, we had a lot going on, but when you think about some of those early years in your pro career, like what are some of your more favorite moments?
1: I mean, uh, that year where I played my first seven games, I think I played, uh, the year we went on that, on the, yeah, I remember obviously the, you know, my first, my first game, my first goal and things like that is all pretty, you know, it's pretty special. But I think that, that Calder cup run was, was a lot of fun. I mean, I think it was a little disappointing to be honest with how good of a team we had. I felt like we, Still yeah, hands. we, we kind of underachieved in losing in the, in the conference finals and had a tough series in the second round against Albany. But I mean... All in all that was that was a fun year um just you know that whole summer anticipation but I, I you know i think um just that next year and the anticipation of like you know getting on that team and we felt like we were all you know i we felt like we were all like building towards you know making that leaf team take the next step uh you know they told us to wait and to wait our turn for for a long time and to finally jump into the into the NHL. And then we, I think what was, there were there, nine of us, nine rookies that year? Yeah. And we all did it at once. So it was pretty cool to go through it with a, you know, a lot of different guys and make the playoffs too. Side note. Um,
0: you do end up scoring. Uh, what was it? 20 goals that year. Yeah. 20 goals that year. Remember when you started celebrating 20 goals? Yeah, and we I didn't know. T- I guess I was that goal. <laughs> was it big or something? I was just excited. Yeah. I scored 20. Brownie. Brownie <laughs> scored a big goal against Pittsburgh. It was a high tip play. Who shot it? Was it Guards. Jake Gardner? Gardner. Yeah, he was good at that. Um, yeah, he always looked for the high tip. He liked that high tip, and Brownie scored, and and we were all giving him a bunch of crap after the game because he had this big celebration, um, and we just wanted to let him know that it was big for the team too. Uh, and and you know it's great that he scored yeah. twenty and all, but um, and, and I, yeah, think I it's scored twenty.
1: Bo- Bozy still lets me know that I had four empty netters <laughs> <laughs> but who's counting? <laughs> But I, I love
0: the way you said you know when you're coming into training camp that year you're, you're going to find a way to make that team because you have had a, an assortment of different roles over your career you have this versatility to your game you have a, you play a very complete game you have you know the Red Tilson you know where you're uh, you know a really high end player in the OHL score 128 whatever tap ins from McDavid and then <laughs> 127 I made one good play yeah yeah. Um, and then, you know, but you, you, you did your very best whether that you are going to be, you know, because I talk about it uh, sometimes with my podcast or when I, I give advice to like three uh, to younger players. There's really three types of player in the NHL. There's like your stars. There's the guys that make it really hard for the stars playing against them. And then there's the guys that can play with them in a a variety of role. And you really are two of those, you know, to me, like you definitely have this stars and I can play with the stars and you can play with. Yeah, (laughs) right. Um, No, no, you make you can be a shutdown guy, but you also have an offensive skill set, you know, and I think that craftiness um, has really served you well in your career as you've continued to you know build into a bigger role and I and we we'll, we'll get off the Toronto love affair we'll talk about Ottawa here in a bit
1: um, no but yeah you know, no, a, was, I hear what you're saying I think that you know I, I think that I I tried to carve out a role I mean I saw so many skill guys in Toronto and I tried to assert myself into that lineup and you know at, at times looking back on it I think I might have almost over overdone it I mean I wish I would have you know, found my confidence and found my skill that I, you know, that I know, you know, that I found this year and to make plays and to, and to be more than just what I was, you know, just be that role player. I think I had more to offer. And, um, so, you know, that's obviously the, the other side of it, but, um, I was just trying to, you know, trying my hardest to play that role that I felt like that team needed me to do. And, um, so, you know, it's been nice to have this opportunity this year to, you know, not only you know, I still try to bring that role of being tough to play against, but um, you know, I try to bring some offensive side of my game out. That's a lesson that I've, you know, really had to dance with in in my career too. I've had some
0: some injuries, but I've definitely gotten some uh, some blown opportunities over the years where I uh, i definitely had some um, you know blown opportunities where you know. I was trying to stretch myself to what a a coach may have wanted instead of playing to, you know, what I knew I was good at and my identity. And it's it's kind of a it's a blend as a young pro. Like you wanna, you know, do what you're asked and and do what you can to, to best help the team. But as a player, like you've gotta know in your bones what you can bring night in, night out and and, and be convinced yeah. that you can do it. It's it's hard. It's you know it's a
1: hard thing to do to entering the league. Um, you know when you're not just you know you clearly just a star. I mean, it's it's hard to um find the confidence that you know you can play and any team and you can you know you know that you have the skill set to that you can bring you know when you haven't really brought it yet to the to that league and so it's it's hard and um. You know, I, that's why I think that DJ Smith, and you played for Smitty, I mean, yeah, I think that's, yeah. he's really good, and he got a lot of, out of a lot of our young guys this year, is because, uh just his personality type is is one that, you know, you can laugh with and joke with, and, you know, even if he, you know, he yells at guys, he's hard on guys, but, you know, you also know that... um he doesn't hate you. And he knows that, you know, as long as he, he's going to still keep putting you out there. Well, let's, let, so let's talk about
0: that. Let's talk about, you know, what you're trying to bring culture wise to the Ottawa Senators, because you did learn, you know, a lot and you were a big piece in building a competitive culture with the Leafs and in those years where, you know, that was so instrumental to what they were trying to do. Um, I was with you the day you got traded. We were like professional wedding goers that weekend because yeah. we were out in the Hamptons for Matt Martin beauty, uh, Matt Martin's wedding. <laughs> And we're out on the what was it, Sabonic?
1: What what's the official name? It was called Sabonic. I think it's the National. And I think Is it the, the National? Th- yeah, the techno? Sabonic is the one beside it, I think. But I think it was the National Country Club or something like that. It was outstanding. Yeah, Whatever just it was. Some some beautiful. magnificent wow, place as well. What a
0: what a <laughs> tilt. Um but we're sitting there, I don't remember if dinner was served or not, but you get this uh this phone call and you start to take off in the distance. Um, you know, we we were having the wedding in like a little tent there. Not a little tent. It was a huge tent. It was awesome. Uh, <laughs> I, don't wanna, I don't want to. I don't want Mari to jump me next year. He's saying I was yeah. talking smack about his wedding, but uh, you know, you, you did have an opportunity to, to you know play for your hometown team. But you knew you know that you may have hoped for better opportunity, um, you know, elsewhere. And and you know, so talk about a little bit of that. Those first moments as getting traded to Ottawa, the process of you know really unpacking it with your family, and then you know. I know you, you are, you know, such a resilient competitor. Like I knew it was only a sh- very short matter of time that you were going to be very excited for the opportunity. And you did, you did really well, you know, was, I was happy to see you do well, um, you know, this last year.
1: Yeah. I think uh, the fact that it was my hometown team too, the one team I've been a part of and never been traded, whether it come to junior or anything. So it was like a shock and an emotional shock to like get moved and, uh, to be a part of what, you know, I, I felt like I was part of like the, the core there and the, you know, I, so it was, it was a shock and it was, it was hard. Uh, But also I knew that for me in my career, it was the best thing for me. And, you know, it's, it's easy to say that over and over again until you live it. And now knowing what I, you know, went through in Ottawa, it definitely was the best thing for me. And I think that exciting times, you know, with the guys and the culture that we kind of have worked towards in Ottawa so it's uh it's definitely the best thing for me in my career and my happiness and so it's been a great change.
0: Well I mean you you are kind of going through this like transition. It's cool. I I had uh James Van Reemsike on right before, you know, he became um a father and we talked a little bit about this like transition in his life, you know, that he was getting as ready as he could for, you know, but you're a dog dad now to Tucker. Yeah. Uh you're engaged you know, yep. out of your, out of your league with, uh, Maddie, um, <laughs> Way your out of my wonderful league. fiance. Um, you know, and now you're, you're trying to become more veteran player as an Ottawa center. Like, you know, what are you, what are, are you dreaming of next in your career and in your life? Like, what is a, a point of focus or a point of passion for you with all of that going on? Cause you've, you've definitely taken a big step here in the last, you know, six, 12 or 18 months, whatever you want to, well, yeah, it absolutely.
1: Up. I think, I think, uh, you know, emotionally and just, you know, I, I've, I think I've come a long way. I mean, I think you, you know, I, I stepped into the NHL as I still felt like I was a kid and now I feel definitely more and more of a man and, um, more and more mature, you know, um, got engaged, and getting married next summer, you know, with the dog. And it's just a different, it's definitely a different, um, phase of life, which I'm, which I'm for sure ready for. Uh, and so it's exciting. I'm really excited for this next phase of life in Ottawa. And, you know, I really felt like it was a, it was a good time to make the move to Ottawa too. I mean, it was good for, you know, my relationship, my happiness on the ice, you know, on and off the ice. It was really all positive, uh, this last year. It's been a really good one.
0: What were some of those things that helped you have, you know, uh, a a bigger year and start to feel more comfortable in your role as an NHL? Because, you know, you and I talk about it, we see it where, you know, opportunity matters. You like to think you can just, you know, outwork all of your adversity and, and earn everything you get, which, you know, you do. But there's something about, you know, just how tight and how hard it is to have a solid role night in, night out in the NHL that, you really do all of those prerequisites like the preparation, you know, staying crafty about where you can get better in your game, like working hard just to like maximize your readiness for when you do get that opportunity. Um, at least that's how I feel about it. What What were some of the things uh, just in terms of how you were treated and, and ice time opportunity that kind of helped you take that next step?
1: Well, I think right, right away, you know, I got a call, you know, get a call from Pierre and you get a call from DJ and, and they're talking highly about how they want me to be a big part of the club and you get a sense of, you know, uh, you know, of belief in yourself all of a sudden and and it carried right into the summer. I mean, right as soon as I started getting on the ice in the summer, I'm, I felt better right then and there. And it's just it's you know, as a professional athlete, so like, I'm not 80% of the game is between the years once you're playing and it's just how you feel about yourself that night, wanting the puck, uh, and it was just something that I had definitely lost a little bit. I mean, uh, you know, I don't think I was playing bad or hurting the team or anything when I was in Toronto, but I definitely wasn't maximizing my potential. Uh, and it's, so it's just it's been nice to uh, to find that find that in myself and find that in my game. And I think it's just a big part of it is just the belief in me that was given.
0: So is there anything you can do? Because I've definitely experienced it in my career where, you know, there are leaders in our lives, GMs, coaches, where you are working for their approval, right? Like you want to make the coach happy. You want to have the coach trust you so they can put you on the ice and things like that. Um, so a little bit of how, to, how you feel, probably more than a little bit, but a, a good chunk of how you feel about yourself for, as a player can come from the coach. But how do you... Maintain um, that inner knowing when there is a little bit of doubt or your play is fluctuating. Like, I guess I want to try to give people an idea of what it feels like. Like when you weren't confident with the puck, let's say, what kind of telltale signs would you experience in a game?
1: <sighs> yeah, like I'm, I remember you know, you it's just not smooth. I mean, everything just feels disconnected when you're feeling like that. I mean, I, I'm know, I sure you felt like that. But, you know, I've been in, in NHL hockey games where, like, you know, you, you feel like, you know, you touch the puck first game and you feel like you're like, okay, you know, I'm going to play good today. You get the puck in the first shift and you don't get it out on the wall. And the next three shifts, you don't even want the puck almost. And it's just like, it, it's such a defeating feeling and you're on the bench and you're telling yourself not to think like that and not to feel that. And it's, it's so hard to control that. Um, And so, I mean, I think a lot of it just comes with maturity. I think, you know, that's why older guys are become more consistent players because, you know, they're less emotionally attached to the highs and lows of the game. And I think that just in time, I've kind of developed that of just that sense of uh, maturity and consistency in my game that, you know, I know that I'm not as bad as my mistakes. And, you know, it, it's it's an easy thing thing to say and it's a harder thing to execute. Uh, but I think that I've found that this year, uh, you know, I've had bad shifts and and I was able to bounce back and I was able to take criticism on the bench and know that, you know i don't suck and know that uh you know you always you always laugh around guys in the bench you always come back it's like i suck you know how many times you hear that (laughs) it's like you know we all know that like the guy doesn't suck right like and, and it's but and we also been there we know that feeling it's like i suck right now like i can't even like and so i mean just that it's just that maturity of knowing that you're not as bad as your mistakes and uh you know, you're not as good as your toe drag, so you just gotta find that, find that healthy median of what makes you a good player, and uh, you know what your limits are out there.
0: Yeah, I mean, I, there's so many lessons there, like about knowing yeah. your identity, running your own race, and and just. Yeah not like engaging in the story that was something you know i'd done uh, as a player where you know i'd score a big goal and all of a sudden i think i'm Bobby you out there and taking a bunch of crazy <laughs> risks and then, i remember one time you know, i make him
1: no i gotta tell one time we're, we're playing and we're playing in the minors this is that back when you thought you were bobby we're playing in the minors i'm coming through the middle and you sent me a little sauce pass and it was a gorgeous pass i gotta be honest and i one touched it on the net but you come back i come back to the bench, and you go brownie you see that pass? You see how I sauced her in there? I'm like, I saw it cease. Like, you didn't have to tell the whole world. <laughs> well, you just, like, yeah, it'd be a shame if you missed it. Uh, yeah. Well, you know, our power play
0: was clicking pretty good. And I just yeah. thought our kickouts could have been better a little bit. <laughs> you know, and I wanted to make sure that, you know, you, yeah. you learn what I thought needed to happen. And, and I, 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 you know, one of my favorite things about you is like, you are an awesome uh, teammate. And like you have so much fun in the locker room. You are competitive. If a, if a guy's not good in practice, you'll try them, you'll test them, uh, you'll let them know, you'll chirp them after practice. Like if, if a guy's not good in the game, a line mate, whatever, you'll 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 talk about it in a constructive way. But you know, one of the things I've tried to like internalize when you talk to players um, you know, that have left the game, like in retirement and stuff, you ask them, you know, Hey, what what do you wish you did? What do you miss? What do you what do you regret? And almost all of them will tell you, man, I miss the locker room. Like I miss yeah. going to war with the guys and, and screwing around and, and having a good time. Um, and that's something that I thought, you know, I don't know if you're just like the consummate guys guy, but like you, you just had, we had a blast playing together. And I think, I feel like it's something you value on purpose. I don't think it's something well, that Well, yeah, like, I
1: just enjoy it. I mean, I just enjoy the locker room banter. It's just uh you know, it's just so fun in there. I mean, you get you get twenty guys that are so similar and uh, you know, we had a we had a really good locker room banter in Ottawa this year. I think we all, we had the Hall of Famer Tyler Ennis was on our team. So we just saddle up and listen to him talk for an hour straight about movies and God knows what. Like he just make up stuff. You know, it's but a shame. It, it's a
0: shame me and Enzo Tyler Ennis, we were the best friends that were never teammates, I think. We shared like one training camp. Or like half yeah. a training camp because I was on I was on the group that was that was the you want to be in that group you know playing those preseason games with uh, with Mike Babcock and that was the group I was in but Enzo I wish I got a chance to play with that guy it was a riot
1: oh man yeah he's a, he's a he's a clinic um you know so I wanted to talk a little bit about
0: you know as a leader now in Ottawa what are some of the things where you are purposefully trying to grow? Like, I know confidence as a player is going to continue to come with role and ice time and things like that, um, you know, but when you talk to, to DJ Smith and, and, you know, you are leaned on as a leader in that room, like what are some like key things or concrete like details that you're trying to bring to that young team?
1: Well, I think the biggest thing about what has changed over the year is, uh, just our practice habits of, I remember, you know, I remember going to those, the summer skates when I got traded there and, um, it just wasn't the same as Toronto, um, as crisp and as, you know, as detailed and as professional. And, you know, over the year, you know, I, I try to practice hard and, you know, I, I, you know, I goof around as much as any other guy in the locker room, but once we're practicing and it's my turn to do a rep, I try to go as hard as I can. And I think that, that is really, I think that he, you know, I think Smitty wanted to bring in guys that, that are practicing like that. And, and I think the way we practiced every day throughout the course of the year really got better and better. And it made us like a harder team to play against because, you know, that's all we knew was to work hard when you're working hard every day. We, you know, we didn't go out there and lollygag, whether it was a morning skate or was it, you know, any practice. And, you know, when you, when you, have an identity as a team like that to do that in practice you know you become a hard team to play against and so I think it's I think that's something where we came a long way in Ottawa you know now it's you know time to add some scoring and you know get our power play clicking and uh, you know I think that we're right at the doorstep of taking that next step.
0: What are You you talked about it earlier too with McDavid and we never I, I don't think I ever really asked you when we were playing together but we played with Austin Matthews we played with you know uh mitch marner what are some of the skill sets tools tricks of the trade that you really have learned from that i taught him i mean these yeah exactly <laughs> yeah i'll ask them that um <laughs> lucky i already did the mitchy podcast otherwise i'd ask him um but what are you know some things that you learned in your time playing with some of those some of the best of the best really
1: Well, I think you kind of understand that it's not an accident, uh, that guys are that good. I mean, at 15 years old, I remember being, you know, I think 18 or 19 in, uh, in the OHL and, you know, McDavid's working out after practice, you know, at 15, like when I was 15 playing minor midget, like not, was not only was I not like doing planks after practice, you know, I just, I was just doing it for fun. And like, you know, I was just enjoying it and he's just a different level of focus and you know, he just does everything at such a high speed and it's not just in the games, it's in practice. And, uh, you know, like I said, all those guys, you know, whether it's Austin, whether it's Mitch JT, you know, these guys, you know, even JVR and like these top end guys are not good by accident. And it's, you know, it's, it's obvious when you're on their team. Yeah, it is. I mean, I I remember, um,
0: you know, one of the things I thought was really cool about our Leaf Group in general, whether it was whether it was Austin uh, Hyman, I thought was really good at it. Yourself, I felt like we had a very—I don't know if studious is the right word—but we had really, you could tell each season that guys were with each other and they go home in the summer and things like that. Like there was something very specific that guys would work on consistently. You know, whether it was you know you with your cutbacks or your ability to strip guys on the back check. You know, I remember the one year Austin came into training camp. It was shooting the puck and it was like this guy worked on a shot this summer. It was really impressive. And I felt like for even a young group, we did a really nice job, like focusing on our craft of the game, knowing what was important, honoring our role, being hungry for more. Uh, and there was this kind of this, there was this good tug of war uh, and really like arms race to try and get better that, um, you know, I know it's something I've tried to steal and, and talk with even, you know, some of our young players uh, you know, in New Jersey, because we do have, you know, some some really high-end young talent, um, you know, that they, they ask questions about some of those guys. And it's, I don't know, it's interesting to see that it really isn't by mistake. You know, I remember uh, really witnessing just how hard those guys would work on their individual skill sets and what made them so good.
1: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, You think a guy like Willie Nylander is like, you know, he's probably the most laid back guy I've ever met in my entire life. But have you ever seen a guy on the ice more than him in your life? Right. Like, I mean, he's on the ice 25 minutes before practice stick handling through pucks that he's lined up. And so, you know, I think that's just the common denominator between all, all those guys. And, you know, I think as more you emulate, you know, hard work and trying to get better and better, obviously they're, you know, like we all are is uh you know striving to be great. It's like the power of habit, right? like you can't
0: just all of a sudden turn it on. you have to be someone that does it the right way all the time you know like Mike, Mike Babcock used to say like being every dayer you know, and there's a, a million ways to to take that and apply it um you know, but when you do I, I, like I remember there was one time I think we were in Columbus, and uh matt's we were, on the, uh, we were on the road. We had just played a couple games on the road, and we were getting dressed in one of the uh, road locker rooms. We were practicing there that day, and, and I thought Austin was going to fall asleep before practice. Like I, he looked like he was 15 coffees away from being ready to go out and skate. He just kind of was in his stall, a little tired, and you know he probably played 50 minutes the night before, so that makes sense. But we get on to practice, and like three strides in, and he is zinging them off the crossbar off the back bar. And it was really impressive to f- like man, those best players have a f- yeah. have they have a good way of finding it, you know, even yeah, when they don't yeah. have
1: and, it. you know, even on your worst days is they're they're not just going to get through the day uh you know, on the ice and you know, that's something that that's something that's important. I mean, every time you're on the ice is truly a chance to get better and you know, it's, you know, it's such a cliche and you know, a little cheesy, but you know, it just means every time you're on the ice, don't just go through the motions, you know, when you're doing something, might as well have some purpose. So in, in terms of your
0: own career, um, one of the things you I'm got really, there? what are you drinking? little little, uh, it's like a hibiscus hamica tea. I got, oh I got going. No, it's a vodka no, cranberry. No, c- <laughs> <laughs> deal with you. I need it. Um, oh. No. Um, you know, so, so one of the things that, I'm thinking about them because we are having this conversation on the NHL uh, with the NHL on pause. You know, one of the things I've really tried to like reconnect with is, you know, when I was growing up much like you, the game was very much. uh, It was fun for me. It was a game. It was it was if I were to, you know, juggle a ball and see how many times I could keep it in the air. That's what it was. It wasn't like a sets and reps, you know, hard scheme. Uh, Everything wasn't so transactional and like I don't want to say goal oriented because it was goal oriented was to get better, but there was this longer element of play, you know, what role has like the curiosity around your skill set? What is that? What role has that played in your career?
1: I think it was a big one. I think this summer was um, something where, you know, I played a lot of like three on three and small area games this summer. And I feel like that, that really helped me um, just because, you know, just the comp, you know, I did a lot of, stick skills and shooting and but just that three on three and finding that competitive edge in the summer is something that I feel like I was missing for a bit uh you know it's it's different when you get the full ice and you go you know you get four on four full ice and it's just breakaway after breakaway you know it's a bit of a waste of time and I feel like um this summer you know we had a good group of guys that we trained with in Toronto and we did some you know with Brian Marshall here he's got a He's got a nice little setup and we had a little rink that we would play three on three all the time and i just felt like it really helps with you know protecting the puck and edge skills and just you know upping the competitive level you know in the summer which was i felt like something that you know you then you know you're, if you're being competitive in something you're getting better without even thinking about it
0: yeah it's something i try to give advice where you know like coaches will ask me what they want to do with younger kids and I get the skill side and and the development and the drills and things like that. Those are all important, but I don't think there's like a better teacher than the game itself. You know, like having a kid learn the ins and outs, the angles of what works. And, and uh, you know, I thought it was funny. I was talking to Brian Keene, who's like a, he's a consultant that I skate with in the summer. And he was talking about the same thing with some of his like youth kids to like, they would do skill work and that was great. And these kids would practice, but in order to avoid them becoming just practice players, he wanted to raise the stakes. He wanted to make sure that players could perform when the stakes were a little higher. So he would implement like uh, with his you know 12 and 13-year-olds where they would play one-on-one to five and loser would lose their phone for a week. And I thought that was awesome. I was like, yeah, man, we got to like bring that to a lot of our adult skates just to ramp it up because it is such a a difference between the summer skates and like the regular season training. Yeah.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I think that, you know, I grew up getting better, not by like, I I don't like when I would in the summer, my, my gear would go away. And in the winter, you know, I grew up getting better, by going to the shinny rinks, the outdoor shinny rinks here, and playing like three on three and playing four on four, and you know against my buddies who are all also good hockey players and just playing keep away, and that's how I grew up of getting better because I was competitive, not because I was you know in all these you know i wasn't didn't have some sort of personal trainer working on my skills every day, just me and him shooting pucks, I mean, I was just the only time every time I'd go on the ice, I'd be playing against somebody and uh, it just brings that competitive spirit out. And then I you're just getting better without even thinking about it. And it just makes everything a lot more fun. I mean, who wants to go just like skate around a pylon and shoot a puck? And especially as a kid, that's why, you know, I, I grew up playing with guys that did that and they were good when they're young and then they'd stop loving it. And it, you know, as soon as you stop loving it, you just, it's hard to fake it. You know, it's hard to go out there and enjoy what you're doing and get better naturally.
0: Yeah, there's something about having a, a genuine passion for what you're doing. It, it shows up. You can tell, you know, kind of the players that grow up and end up being practice players or don't enjoy, you know, the the puzzle that it is to, to try and win. Um, you know, so in terms of your, I talked a lot about it with, you know, Zach Hyman and just kind of the well-roundedness of an athlete, outside passions. What are some passions that you have, you know, outside the game that you think you know, build personal momentum and, and really self-esteem outside of your career? Do you have any?
1: Well, I mean, I kind of like to play sports. I mean, I love playing cards. Like I love, you know, on the, on the bird, on the plane, we play poker. I love playing poker. Uh, I love playing golf. You know, I you know what What's like your handicap get, truly? Like don't sandbag. Well, you know what? It depends who's listening. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I'm I'm honestly like a 6 handicap. Yeah, yeah I'm about a 6 handicap. At okay. least that's what the guys in the sandies think. <laughs> yeah, keep it that way. Just keep yeah. the story story yeah, straight no, whatever um, it is. no. I, yeah, I'm a 6. And I play a lot of golf. But I love golf because it's competitive and you can play against guys of all different skill level and um you know play for some cash and it just becomes fun I mean you know play a lot of golf in the summer you know I love playing cards and all, anything that just kind of brings that competitiveness out is something I enjoy all right is that
0: actually true or are you just watching the last dance Because that sounds a lot like Michael Jordan are you just, are you just... <laughs> me and MJ take... <laughs> <laughs> you guys remind me same player yeah. oh that's good yeah different bank accounts though Yeah, a couple of different uh, zeros uh, on the end of his. God bless him. Um, I'm just waiting to see your shoe line come out in Toronto. The big brownie (laughs) brand. Yeah, Birkenstock. (laughs) Um, Brownie, one of the things I've been asking all of our guests is, you know, a question about what in the world right now is something that you'd you'd really want to say to people as the NHL is on pause, uh, or hopefully not by the time where we release the podcast, but what is something that really lights you on fire Uh, And as a thought that you keep returning to in this time.
1: Oh, in this time, I think uh, it's just important to not just wait till it's over. I mean, um, you know, I feel like that's something that a lot of the world is getting caught up in. is just waiting till, you know, when can we do this? When can we do that? I mean, me and Maddie have been enjoying it. And I mean, uh, we, you know, whether we're playing games or making dinners and we're really trying to make the most out of it. And, you know, for us, it's like, how often do you have quality time, this much quality time of, you know, having no distractions, you know, you're not missing out on anything. And so we're just, we're, we're trying to enjoy that side of it. And we really have been, and it's been, so I think that just not getting caught up in, you know, when's it over? You know, I, things are going to open up slowly and slowly. Obviously, you know, we want things to be over as quick as possible. There's a lot of people losing jobs and, you know, there's a lot of, uh, you know, negativity around it. But, you know, you can only control what you can control. So, you know, I think as soon as I kind of got that around my head, I, you know, I, I, I became a lot more happier with, uh, you know, with the situation in isolation.
0: Well, and I think, you know, that's just kind of a part of, of who you are. You've always had a good pulse of like, you're not in denial. You understand, you know, what adversity you're going through in your life or in your career, you know, but even going back to the weekend, you know, where we were at uh, Marty and Hyman's wedding, you'd gotten traded, um, emotional weekend. There's a, there's a lot going on. And then we went up, you know, to your cabin right after that. And then we ended up I remember the one day I was gonna work out, I wanted to do some training, and you were like absolutely juiced to, to jump back in it. And, and there, like you always worked hard in, in everything that you did, you always did in, in the gym and things like that. I mean, you had to, to come up third behind like Himes and I, but um, <laughs> like you, I could just tell that there was an element of, you know, I I you were competitive about this. You had just gotten moved and you wanted to kind of create yeah. your own m- momentum.
1: Well, it's, yeah, it's, I mean, it's not of a want to prove you wrong type scenario. I mean, like whether that is a little, a little bit of it, it's, but if it's a, it's a, you just want to prove to yourself that you're, you know, that you are what you think you are when your potential is what you believe it could be. And, and it was, you know, I felt like I really trained hard last summer to, you know, to find the next step in my, in my game. And, you know, I think a lot of the. A lot of the, you know, my ducks were in a row and I was ready to go once the season started. And, um, you know, I don't think I scored for the first 15 games or something. I was a little snake bit, but, you know, I, I was playing well and it's all about process. I mean, you know what that's like. I mean, as long as you're getting looks and as long as you're touching the puck and, you know, I I, I can, feel, you know, I felt it right from the first five games of the year. I'm like, I have the puck way more than I did last year. And, you know, I, I, I'm around it way more and I just feel way better. And so, um. Yeah, you know, I, I was I was driven all summer and I was driven all year and you know, I think that I found another level of, you know, of that drive, and I'm just gonna keep carrying it on uh, you know, throughout my career now that I've you know, I feel like I'm like we talked about entering another phase in my life.
0: Was there anything that you learned from playing some of those bigger minutes and just from your process last year in terms of what worked and what didn't, uh, that you're gonna do differently this summer?
1: Um I, yeah. I don't know anything in particular at the top of my head. I mean, uh, you know, I want I want to become, you know, I, I felt like I did a really, you know, I, I think I check well on the ice. And so I felt like I created a lot of chances. I don't know what my shooting percentage was, but I definitely wasn't, I wasn't scoring like, you know, as much as I possibly could be. So I think in and around the net, I'm going to work on my scoring this summer. Um, you know, when things open back up or whatever the case may be. Um, you know, I think that's a step where I can, uh, you know, now that I'm, I'm finding my game and I'm creating these opportunities and I'm mounting around the net more and I'm having the puck more. I think that, you know, I can find that. And I think also a, a little that bit that comes from, you know, I, two years of not having that scoring touch or a full year. You know, I, well, I don't know what I had eight goals the year before. Um, so, you know, I didn't have that scoring touch and lost it for a bit. And, you know, I felt, felt like as the season went on, I got it more and more, but um, that's something for me. I feel like, you know, now I'm confident in my abilities to make plays and to get around the net and, and to be a difference maker in games. And I think, you know, once I find that scoring touch, I'll find a next level in my game. And, you know, like all of us, we're always trying to find new levels. That's awesome. And Brownie, I know we, we talked at length today about,
0: you know, how how you do get competitive uh, over really any and everything, Um, you know, me, you, Mitchie, our better halves, we would play a board game of choice. We'd go over to... Usually it was your place. Um, and we would play Catan. And you'd always... Yeah. You know, you had a pretty good footing in the bottom three. Like, how did oh, you my. manage that day in, day out? You I Because like we,
1: we had a good run there for a bit. We were playing a lot. I mean, if anyone knows how to play Catan, like I was such a marked man in that game where... To the point where no one would, tr- would no are. one would trade with me for whatever reason because I was I maybe because I was a little more talented than the other the other crew but I was definitely you know I was I would start behind you know and I found a way to win just about every match and it was nice it was rewarding. <laughs> Well, I think that's just a few you in have, your life, did you have like a everything. Win?
0: Everything from when you're taking have a the couple whales, because
1: she's so nice to everyone. So everyone would be like, "Oh, sh- I need a log," and everyone would be like, "Oh, here you go." And I'm like, "Hey, can I get a log? I'll give you about three things," and no one would cough anything up.
0: Well, I mean, you know, you got to know. You know what? The, when, the social element the of the game. It's yeah, the you got to be able massage it. If you, you, know, if you can't, it's managing yeah. relationships,
1: man, and and yeah, that's communicating somewhere. clearly
0: and keeping good faith and.
1: Yeah, that's something where I uh I, I kind of put a target on myself, but I still managed to come away with a couple wins, which was pretty remarkable. That was one of the cool parts though about where
0: we were all living when we played, you know, in Toronto, was we were all kind of close to each other and had um like after games we would be able to go hang out somewhere, have a have a bite to eat. And that's something that I definitely miss, you know, just cuz Jersey guys are a little bit more spread out and things like that. Um you know, I, I just uh It's interesting to me that you talk about your wins because I thought like after all this time you would have realized how poor you were at the game, but (laughs) you're probably right. It was probably collusion on all the other players.
1: It was absolute collusion.
0: Actually, I mean this. I love my wife to death, but she was way too kind. She
1: was, she was, you could walk all over her in a trade. Yeah, and she. Oh, yeah. She liked to. She liked to get on the elevens and the threes too. <laughs> she, yeah, yeah, yeah. She, you know, she was just a
0: big fan of the underdog. That yeah, way. yeah. I know. Um, Maddie, you couldn't cross because if if Maddie was hot. Uh, at you, there was no, there was no
1: trading the rest of the game. Like you were totally, it was past I never It got to the point where I would not ask Maddie for trades because it would, no, <laughs> it was, it was a waste of breath.
0: <laughs> I cannot, I don't have a, a like a Catan side deal or sponsorship. But if Catan, if if you guys are listening, you have two massive fans in Connor Brown and I. What a game! It's like, uh, I don't know, it was like a bigger, better version of monopoly that was a great test of your relationship if it wasn't in a good place pre-game you know it was gonna it was gonna come out everything was gonna come out in the wash in that one
1: yeah what are you th- sorry my my headphones just died there what were you saying if that was a bit of a test that that game oh 100 like like if you went in on the rocks a little bit
0: with your significant other in yeah. Catan, like yeah. it
1: was gonna end well, in you, a had civil to, war. you had to realize like is it worth going home being upset you know like so sometimes like yes. you know you want the she wanted the wheat I'm like here you go it's worth it giving you this wheat right now and then we're going to go home happy is that <laughs> you know yeah. like yeah you know if You're like playing if the I, long game if i'm sitting there scamming Maddie, you know like uh, i'm i'm dogging her on every trade and then we go home and she's upset now i'm upset and that just it's just not worth it you got to so weigh you got to weigh game. The, yeah you got to weigh the risk reward of it
0: i i got to say one of the players that we played with that i thought I didn't think, how was Mitchie? I can't remember. I don't remember him being
1: very good. No, no. And he's a sensitive guy, so, you know, I don't want to tell want him to that he wasn't it. good, but, he, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, he was uh we'll,
0: subpar. We'll, maybe we'll edit that out. We probably yeah. won't. We'll probably <laughs> leave that in. Um, sorry, Mitch. Yeah. I actually found Hyman was tough to play with too cuz he he would like oh he was my a boomer Hyman was Hyman he was he would throw the rule to play with it's it's, it's not it's like went from cheap, a game it's to gold, like, it's not go to cheap he was he was all upset about the names that we had. I've never it's like, man, seen anybody
1: rules. suck the fun out of a game like Jaime <laughs> did. There. That was uh, it was that was sickening. I go, okay, man, and it was it it felt good to win because he was like, you know, he's a Catan snob, is what it was. You know, he was what we would talk in the room. We go, oh, we're playing Catan all the time, and then he comes over. We finally play Catan, and it, I won that game, and it was the most satisfying win against him and the goat.
0: Lexi literally asked me before um, I interviewed Jaime. she's like, are you going to bring up the time he was really hot about like how we played Catan? Are you going to bring that up? I'm like, no, I want, this is a friendly affair. I'll probably leave it and talk smack behind his back with a (laughs) future guest like Brownie or something. (laughs) Yeah. There you go. (laughs) Poor guy. Um, Anyway, Himes, don't throw the rule book at us, man. Like we had our, we had our flow. Um, What else would we play? We played cards against humanity pretty good. That was a fun game. What yeah. was the other card game? The we most to play likely play that game
1: vo- we used to play that voting game, eh? And, w- and then that we was just saw <laughs> yeah, that
0: was yeah, it good was one. like the most likely to. It'd be like a prompt, like most likely to insert mischievous act here, and then you'd like blind vote. That was a that was a blast. Uh, I miss it, man. I miss I miss you. I miss Maddie. I miss, Tucky. Yeah, um, miss I, you guys uh, too, Yeah, I'm rooting for you, man. I'm hoping uh, you know we get some clarity around this and. You know we end up whether it's playing together again or seeing each other in the summer um stay well out there all right bro all right brother love peace and hair grease man love amen brother thank you to everyone uh wherever you may be in the world today uh for joining us and i hope you know you were able to get out of our conversation with brownie today uh what i know i did he truly is somebody that has earned everything uh in his career he's done a really nice job building his inner resiliency he's taken some some tough moments in his career uh, you know throwing himself a very short pity party and then usually he's right back after it um, you know progressing towards his goals uh, one of the things that also came through in our conversation with Brownie is his ability to run his own race I think uh, comparison can be the thief of joy I don't know who said it but whoever did uh, very bright uh, thought it's something I've struggled with I know in my own career, uh, but Brownie has this, you know, head down, um, just doing the best with what's in front of him uh, mentality that served him really well over the course of his career as he, you know, really tries to evolve his role and, and impact as in, as a forward now with the Ottawa Senators. And then finally, you know, when you are in these tough situations, one of the things that I think Brownie really uh, is it is a testament for is being able to add value to every situation, no matter what. I'm sure there were a lot of days in our time on, you know, some of those strong leaf teams we were where on playoff runs, you know, where he wanted to be higher up in the lineup and on power plays and, and score more goals and get more opportunities and things like that. Uh, but Brownie did a really nice job playing a 200 foot game. He was always hard to play against uh, easy to play with. And you could tell uh, whether he was playing well or not. He manages energy uh, to be as positive as it, as it could be um, and really just try to add value to the team every which way he could. So with all that said, if you're, if you're still with us, I want to say thank you. Uh, please continue to like and subs- uh, subscribe, comment. It does a lot of good in helping us grow this podcast. I'm, I'm super honored you're with us every week and I look forward to seeing you guys next week. Thank you.